the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 The Answer presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information from the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. I'm getting closer to my house. Call now. 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Well, time really flies. You're listening to Eye on Real Estate. I'm here with Jerry Feeney, our legal expert, Ace Water Tupar, our financial expert, and as I promised, we are thrilled to have Victoria Pynchon, who is the co-founder of She Negotiates. Victoria is a trial attorney and litigator who is an expert in mediation and conflict resolution, and she is nationally known for teaching and negotiating strategies for women in business and how to sermons, how to past that gender stereotype, because there's so many gender stereotypes. She's written several books, including Success as a Mediator for Dummies, but her main interest um, is equal pay for women, and we'll talk about that a little more later. These are issues that are very close to my heart, and I'm so thrilled to have you on, Victoria. I want to say good mid-morning. Good morning. It uh, is not mid-morning here in Los Angeles, but I'm happy to be up at 8 to talk to you with my cup of coffee right next to me. Well, Victoria, we're thrilled that you were able to do this because this is something very close to my heart. And tell us a little about yourself. I mean, you, you work with women on negotiating I do, and let me say before we go there that you went to Adelphi University. Yes, I did. And my husband went to Adelphi University in um, 75 to 77, so we missed you by a year. Yeah, it was a great place to go to school. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's changed a lot, though. I tell your husband I I've gone imagine. back to see it, and it's really, uh, if you could share this with him, it's got a great... Uh, they really have done a lot with the arts and dancing. It's just, it's really, you wouldn't even recognize it. It's really come a long way. That's great. So, um, so I practiced corporate litigation um, for 25 years. And, you know, you're in the hot uh, zone of conflict every single day. And not only over major issues, but over whether or not someone has answered a written question accurately. And that, you know, 25 years I think is enough. So I, um, I tried my hand at mediation. I went and got a, a master's degree in conflict resolution, uh, which was startling because no one taught my generation of lawyers how to resolve conflict. That's probably true. And I always tell people, if you can mediate something, 
uh, rather than have to go to court, uh, you're so much better off because you just really never know what a judge is going to say. I mean, you never know. Oh, exactly. And there's so much more value to be found in a mediation if you could get the parties and their lawyers into the same room and have an open-ended conversation about what everyone is is genuinely interested in because I like to say that no one is interested in money. Well, <laughs> let's I, I know that's controversial, but no one's interested in money. They're interested in something that money can buy for them. Okay. So when you get down to what they're interested in and what money can buy for them, that's when the parties start really trading um you know, trading uh, items of value that they have that are beyond just, you know, I want a million dollars, I'm only going to pay you 500000 So, you know what, maybe you could kind of expand on that a little further because most people do, like you said, think everything is about the money. So this lawsuit comes in and somebody wants X and you want to pay a lot less and you're saying it's not about the dollar amount? It's not. It's, it's about... Uh, well, well, the dollar amount will be tied to something. So, for instance, one of my earliest mediations was with a man whose wife had died in front of him uh, in a um, dialysis unit. And it was an excruciating moment for him because none of the dialysis unit uh, employees knew how to help him. They had to call 911 and have medics come. So it was a traumatic event. He lost his wife. He wanted X amount of dollars. We had a conversation in separate caucus, which means we sent the other parties out. I talked to him individually, and I said, you know, what is it that you plan to do with the money? And he said, you know, early in my my life, I I was pursuing photography, and then I couldn't pursue it anymore because I was, working, and so I, you know, it would make me feel really good if I had something to do. I'd like a photography studio, and then we talked about how much that would cost, and suddenly the number was tied to something he genuinely wanted, and it was much less than he was demanding, because people choose, particularly in those personal injury cases, people choose random numbers. Right. Some of them are outrageous. (laughs) I, I wonder where they get them from. I always wondered, like, where do they get these numbers from? Are they just... they're, they're usually round numbers. <laughs> yeah. Usually round numbers. He actually had read an article where someone's dog had died, and they, um, the defendants offered $25,000 for the dog, and the uh, insurance carrier had offered him $25,000. And he connected those two things, and he was so outraged and offended. And that was something else we had to move past because, really, money is a lot, as you know, money is about emotion. Yes, I do. I, I, I could, I can't, but I could, I could cite things like that, I, that I've, I've seen. And I always tell the listeners and I tell uh, clients that a good negotiator is worth more than anything that you could buy because uh, I've seen so many things fall apart 
because right. someone did not know how to negotiate it well. And just because someone's an attorney doesn't mean they are a great negotiator. So you really specialize in negotiating. Now, do you negotiate only for women or men also? Men also call, which I always find interesting because the name of the business is She Negotiates. But I think that they think we're referring to ourselves, which we are. But, um, you know, our web page is all about women. But men call, too, because men have the same hesitancies as as women. So let's talk for a moment. As I think you opened, it's like why women are such great negotiators. Well, let me ask you before you answer that. Okay. Is that the stereotype? Because I'm not sure that people think women are great negotiators. No, no. The stereotype is that women can't negotiate. Exactly. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is that, and now I'm going to generalize, but most men think negotiation is about overpowering the will of the other side. Exactly. And that is extremely bad negotiation strategy. Because, one, you alienate your negotiating partner, and they may leave and never come back. happened in a, a multi-hundreds-of-millions-of-dollars case in my law firm where the plaintiff's um, an oil company made a demand, and my law partner said, and that would be in Lyra. And they <laughs> packed their bags. They packed their bags, they left. We didn't have another settlement conference in that case for five years. Wow. Wow. Well, also, I mean, you know, litigators, I, you know, used to be in a litigation department of a big law firm. You know, I'm not sure that litigators have a tremendous uh, incentive to do a settlement because, you know, let's face it, they're billing for a number of years and getting, you know, some pretty rich fees so, you know, I've always wondered whether it made sense to have litigation counsel and then separate mediation settlement counsel running on simultaneous tracks. Maybe they're communicating with each other about what's being discovered in the litigation, but have somebody whose incentive is and whose reward is based on getting to a, an amicable settlement. What do, what do we think about that? Um, well, I, I think that that's a, a largely a myth. Um, in the in the 25 years I spent in the legal arena, I would say everyone I knew on both sides of the fence wanted to settle the case because the client is pressuring you all the time to settle the case. And you want that client back the next time. You don't want to, just like you don't want to squeeze the last nickel out of every deal, you don't want to squeeze the client for legal fees because they will never come back to you. I think what drives most lawyers to extend uh, litigation beyond its sell-by date is that they um, is that we're trained to fight, we're not trained to negotiate, and we think we're right. And I we have a passion for justice. <laughs> I, I agree with you so 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 many things so many things, and I certainly can give you a million stories. But we're so lucky to have you here speaking. So I don't want to take that time up. But now you were in the middle of saying that women are great negotiators. So can you expand on that? Yes, women are great negotiators because the very first, um, the very first step in any successful negotiation is to establish a relationship of trust uh, between the parties. And, and again, I, I'm just going to say a blanket that I am 
uh, wildly uh, stereotyping, but stereotypes come from somewhere. <laughs> and not only did I litigate for 25 years, I mediated for uh, 10 years, and now I've been uh, negotiating with and for women for seven or eight years. So my, my, I have pretty deep experience. So men tend to think of it as a power relationship, and they, uh, unless they're really, really good, they tend to alienate the other side very quickly, which is the reason they're mediators at all, because they're mediators there to keep everybody's tempers down. But the lawyers, as I said, the lawyers think largely that the purpose of a mediator is to convince the other side to do something they don't want to do. The purpose of a negotiation is to find out what the other side wants to do and deliver it to them in a way that satisfies their true interests, which include emotional interests, they include interests that are, they include justice interests, they include, you know, I've been wrong, I need to be paid for having been wrong. And women will have those conversations, women will take it down to the emotional level and I think that if most men ask themselves how well they negotiate against their significant female other, they will say that their significant female other often wins the negotiation. And I, I so think um, you're right, but I, I just think that people just really don't realize that. Now, particularly women, which is why we do what we do. I, um, you know, I spend a lot of time doing things to serve women, and I would absolutely agree with you, and I think uh, that is the, the confidence and the lack of confidence in themselves, and because I think men sometimes come, come, come out being very strong and, and forceful, and in some times that almost scares a woman uh, when they do have a voice, and I think that what you're doing is fabulous. So you um, you also say, which I, I think is true, for me it is, but women have a harder time saying no. Women do have a harder time saying no. We've been trained to serve, um, and that's not a bad thing. I don't want women to stop serving who's going to serve. Um, you know, who's going to calm down Uncle Phil at the um, Thanksgiving table? These, these are the tasks that fall to women. That what falls to women is, is to create an atmosphere in which everyone feels safe and comfortable and to talk down the people who are interfering with that. Uh, that, is the heart, that is the heart of conflict. What women lack, as you say, is the confidence in their innate skills. So I would say that when we're consulting with women, at least 50% of what we do is cheerleading. Yesterday, for instance, I went to um, I went down to South Central Los Angeles, which is and you know we have offices there now. I'm thrilled to death that Douglas. That's Ellen. great. Yeah, yeah I, re- I recognize the uh, I recognize the real estate agency, so I I know it's here, and this is a ridiculously hot market. Totally. Um, uh, but I was down in South Central Los Angeles and talking with women who were really, you know, struggling to find work. Some of them have been, they're just out of the foster care system or they, they've, they've just come out of prison. And, 
And what they did, and listen, my lawyers and my executive clients, uh, my scientists and my physician clients, they'll do the same thing. They lead with what they're weakest in. And I immediately stop them and say, I want you to know that this is not, this has nothing to do with you. It's gender wide. Men do not lead by telling their negotiation partner what they're bad at. <laughs> That's such Never. a good point. <laughs> Never. So you're saying you should, you, you should lead with what your strength is. Right. You should lead with what your strength is. And what's so great about women's natural negotiation skills is you should lead by finding out what your negotiation partner wants. You should lead by having a conversation. You should lead by, for instance, so I Googled you and I went, oh, she went to Adelphi. We have something in common. Yes. I'll mention Adelphi. I remember Adelphi. I took a philosophy. I audited a philosophy class there the first year that my husband and I lived in Hempstead, which you know the area, how bad it was. We were very poor, Uh, and I had just graduated. That's a long way from there to Beverly Hills or from California, (laughs) to say that. Um, Education, education, education. Um, But so, you know, so I'm, I'm genuinely interested in you. I didn't know who you were. I knew you had this real estate, you know, talk show. Well, let but me say I, I'm, this. I'm genuinely interested in who you are. So I read your Wikipedia profile, and I thought, oh, this woman is really, this is the kind of woman I love talking to because look at the little empire. I shouldn't say little. Look at the empire she built, the real estate empire, and that gives me a genuine feeling of affection for you. Well, thank you, and I, I, I feel the same way. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have a call with this woman after um, during the week because there's so many things that I, I could ask you to kind of help work out because I am so uh, committed to the cause. of. And, again, I don't want to – I'm not sexist. I love men, and certainly, you know, I, you can't generalize. I think everybody can use – skills and negotiations, I think that they really can change your life, even if it's negotiating with your child. And uh, I, but I do think women have a harder time. And I do think that sometimes um, it's really because of the lack of confidence or a way a man sometimes can overpower a woman. Like, you know, they can come very strong and it takes a step back. And I think women really didn't grow up with the same kind of confidence for for whatever reasons that was. Do you see that changing in younger women? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, first of all, it's younger women who call us. So what, they, what, what younger professional women know, because that's our, largely our clientele, um, what they know is what they don't know, right? And that's the secret so, to success. Know what you don't know. Exactly. So that's a, that's the first step for them, and and the second step is you've got to pick up the phone and say I need help, and that's hard for everybody, male and female, to call up and say you know there are things I don't know how to do, and this is a really important offer I've been given. I just finished a consultation with a reconstructive plastic surgeon. Um, doctors are not well known for their negotiation skills. No. <laughs> or their financial savvy. And in many cases, their business skills either. Yeah, and it was, girl, we got her $100,000 more than the initial offer. I mean, we tend to get, my partner and I tend to help women get somewhere between 
20 and 100% of what they've been offered. So, so when would, and, and by the way, um, Victoria's website is she, this is an easy one to remember, and we'll, put it, we'll post it, but she negotiates.com, which is great. So before, we'll do this after the break, but what, what, are, what is a typical person that calls you? Uh, what is that, who, who utilizes your service? What, would that, what are some of the reasons people would call you uh, or seek your help? Right after the break. Great. Thanks. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and we're so fortunate to have Victoria Pinchon, who is the co-founder of She Negotiates, and we're in the process of talking about women and negotiating and why women have a harder time to say no. And right before the break, I asked Victoria, like, what is the typical or person that would call you? Like, what kind of situation would they call you for? Would it be like if they wanted to get a raise? Would it be a business? Or what? I'm sure you have a varied amount of, of people calling for different things. But give us some examples so that people know that they – can call you or they can reach you at your website, shenegotiates.com, and then you can further advise them. Sure. Well, I would say that about 50% of our clients are in tech because they know they don't understand the equity piece of their compensation. So they know they don't understand, um, you know, the difference between uh, a stock option and uh, a different kind of, equity piece and they're also they've also all read Sheryl Sandberg's lean in and they've been told to negotiate so and Sandberg really did have a big effect so I'd say that's about 50% the other percentage are people who just know that they um, they accepted a bad offer I get a lot of women who have dropped out of the workforce for you know because they got pregnant and they have babies and they take a couple of years off and they after they came back to the workforce they know they accepted a lowball offer because they felt like they had something to make up and something to prove and you know now they had children and so they're less valuable because those cultural stereotypes are, are as ingrained in us as in anything um, so they'll call after a year or two of working when they realize that they're undervalued and they're not progressing in their careers the way they should. Uh, so I get a lot of that. Um, and uh, the rest of it's just a hodgepodge. Sometimes we get women who are entering into uh, agreements right now. Um, venture capital firms are buying up medical practices like crazy, and they're offering deals that are difficult for me to read and I did contract litigation for 25 years so I, I you know I read these contracts and I think you know like what does this term mean and what does that right, term right. mean and this thing's a black box you you know and so we you know t- we, we tell them to ask questions that's really the first step in any negotiation is to find out you know what your negotiation partner's interests are and how they're trying to take advantage of you <laughs> because they always are. Well, I think that I think that I want I don't want to stereotype, but I would say that in general I think 
That's true. I think that it's changing, and I think from when I started the, in business, it's really come a long way, but I think it has uh, a long way to go, and I think that um, I, I see the younger generation being a little bit more confident or, or expecting more than I think my generation. I'm a baby boomer, and I yes. think that we expected less. Um, as women, we were kind of like just grateful. I remember when I first got my first big job at Merrill Lynch, and like at that time, there was hardly any women, and uh, the women that were there were tremendously older than me, and I was, oh, my God, I thought I died and went to heaven. Yes. Uh, so let me ask you, because I really... First of all, I will go to your website and contact you and really love to meet you and speak further because there's so many things that I, and I'd love to have you back because I could, I could talk to you forever. And there's so many places that I know women could use somebody like yourself. Um, but due to the shortage of time, I, 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 you also are big on pay equity Yes. You have a pay equity task force? Yeah, it's the state of California. It's a a task force made up of both labor and capital, so big businesses and people who represent workers. Uh, the, The law that passed in 2016 and then some additions in 2017 were passed by both houses of the local um of the California State Legislature, and it was supported by both business and labor. And so they put together a task force of those people to roll out the new law to Californians. The two main points about that are, number one, you cannot ask, an empl- uh, you cannot ask a candidate for a job what her prior salary was because the state of California has determined in the legislation itself that past salary questions tend to perpetuate the wage gap. Right, because if you had a, a low past salary, the, uh, they might say, well, listen, why should we offer this when she just worked for that, was a sore for a little more. So, okay, so that's in California, Laura. And what else? And then the other thing is that you, you can now ask for pay scale. And this is not going to work if you're applying for a job at McDonald's, but if you're applying for a job at a corporation, they have pay um, bands. So for this particular job you're applying for, the pay band is somewhere between, say, $150,000 and $200,000. So that you can now get an idea about what they're paying for this particular job that is not related to gender and is not related to negotiation dynamics. So it's an effort by the state of California to make pay more transparent and to kind of liberate women to ask questions that they're afraid to ask. I think that's great. And and I just want everyone to know, again, I'm going to post it. Uh, You can get Victoria at SheNegotiates.com. And you've written several books. So I know one of them is Success as a Mediator for Dummies. And uh, if you really want to get ahead in everything in life, and I've said this on the show over the years, I've even had some uh, sessions on the show about negotiating and some skills in negotiating because or mediating because I think that's what life's all about. And, of course, in the real estate business, Victoria, when you're negotiating on a property, I tell them, hey, listen, 
it's it's about two people feeling like they won. It's not like one person saying, oh, my God, I just lost everything. This person won everything on me. And, Jerry, you know, I always say you need to use a real estate attorney who really knows because I've watched closings in real estate where one attorney is kind of bullying the other attorney and getting everything that he wants. Right. And he leaves the other attorney in a bad place. He has no wins. And then he's just going to say no. So I think that those skills that your book talks about mediation and, and how to go about it. Yes. Yeah. And people yes. can get that at any bookstore or Amazon or. Amazon. I don't think it's probably on the shelf of um, All right. what bookstores are left. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's certainly true. That's so I, I really want to thank you so much, and I am personally going to contact you and uh, for my own personal reasons, because this is kind of right up my alley, and also for um, some times when uh, we can uh, get you on again. And um, the best way to reach you is on your website, correct? That's, that's correct. Okay. So I, I really, I am thrilled. I am so happy that you've come on the show, and I can't really hopefully wait to meet you in person. It was so a great pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. And, um, well, that was an interesting I wish I was there in the sun because it's really kind of cloudy in New York. Uh, well, it's raining and drizzling. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Victoria, and I'll thank speak you. to you soon. Okay. Have a great weekend. Terrific. You too. Bye bye. Amazing. Uh, yeah, that was that was that was very interesting. You know, I, <clears throat> this whole you can't ask the employee how much they made at the last one. This is the law now in New York City. What also. is the law in New York? I was going to ask you, Jerry, because yeah. I don't. New York City, your employers are no longer allowed to ask employees what they make. And I got to tell you, it's as an employer, it's it's tough, and I'm not sure that it's the best thing for employees and. Um, uh, you know, when you have a, a, um, uh, a, I think it's a material fact what somebody is currently earning because, you know, if they're going from a $35,000 job that they've worked for the last three years and they're applying for a job that's paying 150 and maybe they're a really good interviewer and maybe they're beefing up their resume to make it sound like they could do it, it's a huge jump. And it's not that you wouldn't ever hire somebody for that, but when they're making that huge jump, you want to know, well, what have you done in recently to qualify you for that huge jump or maybe we're both wasting our time and you're going to get here and in three weeks we're going to realize that you know it wasn't a fit for you and you're going to lose the job and i think that's what is starting to happen when but i Jerry, talk to other employees yeah if i may ask you isn't what what victoria is saying and what this new law says is really not i don't interpret it that way and maybe i'm incorrect here i'm interpreting as like if I, I've never really asked anybody on an interview or even asked the question of what did you make prior to this. I have never personally done that. I can't speak for everyone, but I just know that I've never done that. Because honestly, when someone applies for a job at Douglas Elliman, I really look at who they are today um, and who I and if I think that they're they'll fit into our organization because I think mm-hmm. that's really important, and if I think that they have the skill set. And I uh, remember when I was really young, and I mentioned Merrill Lynch because I did work for them, and they taught us on how to hire people. And the person that led the uh, classes on hiring was an ex-FBI guy who said, listen, when you hire for the FBI, you can't make a mistake. No, you can't. So here's what you do. And he tended to say that people... 
um, when they're interviewing, talk too much. They ask, you know, instead of asking that person a lot of questions, they start talking about the company and, right. you know, how great their company is. And they end up doing a lot of talking when you're, and, and they like, said that, and mm. I never forgot it, and it's so many yeah. years ago, mm. that you as the interviewer should be asking questions. And like, for example, they said a woman or a man or somebody maybe has no experience in certain things, but you see that they they were the head of so many organizations right. and they the, ran like uh, charity things. Well, right. you might then you would see that they have certain skills that might ne- necessarily, necessarily equate to money. Right. So like you're saying that it would be bad for employees or employers. Well, it's, uh, maybe after the break we can get to that. They, they're cutting, uh, the producer's got to cut for his last break of the hour and then we'll be back. Okay, we'll be right back. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I was in the middle of having a discussion with Cherry about this, the new laws about equal pay and all that, but I realized that we're at 1143, and uh, my good friend Ace, hasn't really given us, we haven't had time at this moment. It was a busy, busy show. And uh, I don't want to miss getting our financing in because of, unless you're paying all cash, you can't buy a home without okay, Daddy. I'm learning a lot from the show. <laughs> you just can't. So what's going on in the world of mortgages and what the rates are like, what, 475, something like that? Yeah, rates are at 4.75, Daddy. Uh, the Federal Reserve did not increase uh, the prime rate uh, this last meeting that they just had. Okay, so that month, is so. great news. Did you hear? That Good is news. great news if you're looking for a property or you're selling because it's going to make a difference in your sales price too. If you're looking for a property, you have a little more time before they raise the rates if you didn't find that dream house yet. So yeah. that, why didn't they raise them? They felt it was just a little too... Just, um, you know, they, they've, they've raised rates the last three times, right. Donnie, so they just wanted to sort of slow it down just a little bit, but, uh, you know, um, things are, are on the up and up, right? So unemployment, it's at 4.7%, um, lowest it's been um, in 17 years. Wow. Um, inflation is currently at 2.4. The target rate was 2%, so cost of goods sold is definitely um, cheaper. So, so we are, you know, in terms of the economy, definitely improving tremendously. So we will see an increase in rates for sure, no doubt about it. But, look, it's still a great time. Rates are still low, still below 5%. And if you're looking to buy, I mean, this is the best best opportunity, you know, whether you're refinancing and cashing out on your equity or you're looking to just purchase um, purchase a property. I mean, right now, from my seat, Dottie, it's, the, the market is definitely heating up. And oh. every weekend, open houses, there's just more it's than crazy. 20, 30 people. I'm sure yeah, Jerry crazy, must be so. crazy also. I mean, we're all yep. crazy. It's so busy. But let me ask you a question. I, Ace, I... I happened to read, I, I guess this was what Zillow re- recorded, but they, Zillow put out something that says the rate of would-be borrowers getting turned down for a mortgage is almost half of what it used to be a decade ago. So that's good news for borrowers. It's great news, Dottie. I mean, um, you know, like you said earlier in the show, you know, wage earned income has definitely um, increased. And banks are now coming out with down payments that will allow purchasers to put down as little as 5%. Fannie came out with a program um, called Fannie 97, 
that will allow customers to put down 3%. Wow. So, you know, with, so those are for people bank. who have enough income but just haven't because it's hard to save money Exactly. Today. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, there are options for folks that are that are definitely um, in the yeah. market to buy. And, I also think yeah, the go borrowers, ahead, I, no, I, was saying, I, I also think the borrowers are more prepared, right? I mean, they're more they are. educated and they know what they have to have together. And, and I think the mortgage bankers do a great job now of explaining to people what they're going to need, what documents, what they have to have prepared so that the packages have a better chance of approval. I, I think that might have something to do with the higher approval I think, percentages. I, yeah, Jerry, I think we came, we came a long way since the I, economic crisis. In but I think that's a great point. Yeah. And to yeah. Jerry's point, you know, when you go to apply for a mortgage, if the package is not complete or you left out a paper or something, mm-hmm. like you, you really need to make sure that's why you need to call ACE. That you yeah, have the, think, you have it all done in favorable terms, but I'm reading also that the two main reasons consumers are turned down, even though you know, even though the number is so much less. I mean, more so many people are really getting their mortgages, but the two main reasons are high debt to income ratio and uh, their credit issue, history mm-hmm. issues, which we had our credit expert on last week. But can you speak to that at all, Ace? Yeah, Dottie. So, you know, in regards to the credit history, I think what we're seeing is a um, a shift in mindset, meaning the millennials today, they have credit, but they're not really um, accustomed to using three revolving credit lines. And what the banks, and, you know, we have Dan Sater on the show, what the banks usually, usually want to see is three trade lines, right? But what most folks now are doing is they're just taking out one trade line, which is, let's just say, an American Express card. Can you say card. trade line? Can you? Yeah, of credit course. Um, so a trade line, basically, it's just a, a credit card or, or some sort of, um, I guess, um, loan mechanism, right? So the banks, what they'll do is they, they just want to see three trade lines, meaning, you know, whether it's three different credit cards, um, a rental verification of rent, you know, so you just have to have, or a bill that you pay for your electricity, car loans. So three trade lines. And what most people are doing is they're consolidating, consolidating their debt. And they only have one trade line, but that one trade line is an American Express card that they charge, you know, $8,000 a month mm-hmm. on, $5,000 a month on, but it's only one credit card because they just want to simplify their, their life. Right. And what, what we're having challenge, challenges on with the bank is that on the high end, if you're looking for a loan that's considered jumbo, that's above the Fannie Mae guidelines, above Which is 750, over 650 or 750. It's, it's right, around, right, right over $600,000, Dottie. So the banks are looking at more than one trade line. So, are you, so would your advice to our listeners be um, before they are actually applying for a mortgage, uh, like at least like a year before, what would you advise them to do to set up a few credit cards? Yeah, I would, I would at least set up three trade lines, which is maybe three credit cards, right? And you just have to charge the minimum payment, which is pretty much, you know, $25, $50, and, um, you know, at least have three. So the, the, the advice to the listeners today is if you're looking to buy a home, make sure that you have three trade lines because that can become a challenge during the process of the loan. So, so do that. And when they say that another um, reason uh, might be, you know, and that, that the credit score being low and we advise you to speak to Ace or Dan or somebody before you apply for the mortgage, once you apply, it's already too late and see if you can get that number up higher. But the other reason they say is um, 
High debt to income ratio. Can you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, so high debt to income ratio is basically taking your annual salary, dividing it by 12, figuring out what your monthly income is, and that, and then, and then you take your monthly income and you divide it by your total uh, monthly expenses, including your new housing expense, inclusive of all of your other liabilities, such as car loans, credit cards. Okay, you so slow your, down. You take your yep. monthly income. You take your monthly income and you divide it by your total amount of liabilities per month. Okay, and when you come out with that number, what would you... So you should be right around, right below 36%, that's income ratio. So usually if you just want to take your total income, divide it by your total liabilities, you divide that number, and as long as you're within 36%, you're... You should be good call, to go, provided your you credit's okay. Go. Exactly. And so, uh, most folks now are because the home prices are so high, Dottie, a lot of folks are at the 38 40% range, which is okay because if you're working with a portfolio lender like Citizens Bank, we'll go even up to 50% really? in some cases if you have reserves. Yes. Well, so you know, that's so know. important to know because I remember from way back when they would say that the debt-to-income ratio had to be like 36 at the best. So you're saying exactly. that at... Citizens, they will really look at that, and they might they'll they'll if if everything else is good, they would really extend that to a higher number. Yeah, as long as there's compensating factors, we'll go up to forty eight, even fifty percent max on the DTR. So, um, you know, that's that's great for for our borrowers that are that are at the higher DTI level. Yeah, that's why. Income. Don't you think it's so important uh, as you start to. St- Get ready for your home search. And usually people look, uh, you know, three to six months, sometimes a year before they're ready to buy, um, that you really have a conversation with Ace or someone at Citizens Bank before you even look to purchase something to just see what you're going to qualify for so that, A, you know what you can spend. And if you find something you like, you already know that you can qualify for it, or if they find any flaws in your credit or something like that, you have a little time to kind of fix that. And in many cases, yeah. it's, it's just an, an error, or you could drop a car payment or something. So uh, and it that's can take just a couple so months important. To fix it. Yeah, yeah. Do you I find any people call you before? Of course, Dottie. I mean, sooner the better. And, and your advice, and, you know, Jerry, you know, we work with Jerry, we work with you, Dottie. And, you know, for, for the folks that are actually you know, in touch with a real estate agent. You know, we try to tell the realtors too. you know, put them in touch with us as soon as possible because time is our friend. Mm -hmm. The earlier, the better, you know, to just prepare and just make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row because it is a very competitive market out there. So when you're ready to make the offer, you have everything already prepared. Well, let me say this. Get the whole team together early on is what I Yeah, exactly. And let me say this and and, in closing, uh, one of the ways, one of the reasons we set up Douglas Elliman and the radio show, for that matter, we set it up like we set our company up at Douglas Elliman, is to have every piece of what you might need, all the pieces that constitute you having a success in purchasing or selling or refinancing. And it's one thing to find a property, and I always tell sellers, you know, okay, so somebody walked into your home and they saw, and they want to make an offer on it. Do you know if they have bad credit? Do you know if they have a, a high enough credit? You don't. Are they so that's your time? Piece, yeah. even as a seller, 
is so important that you know. And of course, legal. I mean, if you don't have the right attorney, forget it. So in saying that, I think we have the best team at Douglas Elliman. And I'm pleased to say not only that we're a great team, we're also friends. And uh, whatever we can do for you, we're glad. Just give us a buzz or email us or radioshowatelliman.com. Everyone have a great weekend. And if your mother's there, give her a hug. And if she's not, you just say a prayer. Okay? Have a great weekend and happy Mother's Day, everyone. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.